As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There's coming a day when Adolf Hitler will bow. There's coming a day when Idi Amin will bow. There's coming a day when every dictator who has ever thought he was in charge will bow a knee. The problem is, for many, it will be too late. Bow a knee here, because, sweet friend, you are going to bow a knee. That's just going to happen. Well, we've been on a trek with the prophet Nehemiah as we've been rebuilding the wall. And it's been a wonderful study. I hope you've enjoyed it. I have thoroughly enjoyed it. In the seventh chapter, verse 1, it says, Now it came to pass when the wall was built and I had set up the doors and the porters and the singers and the Levites were appointed. There it is. Finished. All righty. It's done. Boy, I'm glad that's over. We can go home now. It's over. We built a wall. Amen? I can't believe I forgot this. There's six more chapters. Boy, I hate it when that happens. Six more chapters. The first seven chapters have to do with the rebuilding of the wall. The last chapters have to do with something else. Revival. Revival. So would you join with me in chapter 8 of the book of Nehemiah? And let's see what the Lord might say this morning. Now, I'm going to read some selective passages. I'm not going to read all of them because some of them read like a Jewish telephone directory, and I can't pronounce the names, and you can't either. So let's get the gist of it if we can, all right? Nehemiah chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. And all the people gathered themselves together. Now the wall's been built and the gates have been built. Gathered together in one, uh, as one man, in other words, of one heart, there was one people, unto the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning till midday, before the men and the women and those that could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood, Hey, this is biblical, and I'll tell you why in just a moment, which they had made for the purpose, and beside him was so-and-so and so-and-so. Verse 5, and Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and when he opened it, all the people stood up, and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, amen, amen, with lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Verse 8. So they read in the book in the law of the Lord distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. And now look down in verse 10. 
Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto the Lord, uh, neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. As the Levites stilled all the people, saying, Hold your peace, for the day is holy, neither be ye grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and to make great mirth because they had understood the words that were declared unto them. Chapter 7, the walls are finished, the gates are up, project's over. Well, kind of. This set the stage because Nehemiah was a great leader and a great man of God. And Nehemiah was bound and determined not to let the people have monument mentality. Your new pastor, when he comes, has to be very careful, very careful that you don't get monument mentality. And by that I mean that what you're building, the whole new campus out west, that that's the purpose of what the church is to do. That is a part of the purpose of what the church is to do. But ladies and gentlemen, that's not why we're here. That is a part of the process. And just like what happened with Nehemiah, the wall was needed to be built. Just like what we're doing, it needs to be built. But that's not the end result. The end result is what takes place because of that. Now, Obviously, in biblical times, the wall needed to be rebuilt because the wall stood for the protection of the people. There were invading armies and hordes of people that would just simply take over whatever they could. The walls were there for protection. Each of those cities, just about, and all of the, uh, of the uh, Old Testament at least, had walls around them. Most of the New Testament cities had walls. It was a part of the natural fortification. The walls, although they were there, practically speaking, symbolically were there as a symbol of God's protection. The gates were symbolic of God's glory. And so when Nehemiah finds what's happened in Jerusalem, when he, over in chapter 2, when he hears all of this from his brother, the, the, the walls were down and the gates were burned with fire. The, the, the city was exposed both to the enemy and to the enemy. And so if you remember the story, Nehemiah gets permission from Artaxerxes to go back and to rebuild the wall, and now the wall has been finished. But he knew that was not the end result of what needed to be done. And he also knew that it was a byproduct of what the people had done. What is the byproduct? What is the result of a building program? That's what I'm speaking to you about this morning, the result of a building program. It's not a building That's a byproduct. But the real result of a building program, now listen to me very carefully, is revival. You say, oh, come on, preacher. Revival? What's that got to do with all this? Let me tell you. Let me tell you. When you and I are led by God to see a need, and the need is bigger than each of us individually, And when we have enough spiritual sense to pray and to ask God, what would you have me to do? And then God sends a plan, and the plan again is bigger than us individually. And when God puts that plan on all of our hearts, 
simultaneously, the same plan. He says yea and amen to it. And when you and I start to attempt it, and as we attempt it, we see the hand of God good upon us, that things simply fall into place, not every time, but 99.9% of the time. It's almost like there was a plan before we had a plan. Amen. There is. It's God's plan. We get in on it. And as God leads us, it just comes together. And when it comes together, we have a new sense of his presence. We have a new sense of his power. We have a new sense of his love, his mercy, his grace for us. And as an outcropping of that, as an overflow of that, revival happens. I'm just telling you, it'll happen in our hearts when we, when, we, uh, when we think about what we're attempting to do and the fact that it's impossible for us to do it, but with God, all things are possible. And when we join together, it's not only possible, it's probable that we're going to do this. We're going to do this. I'm going to give you one more chance. We're going to do this. I mean, it's going to happen. And just like uh, Les was saying, there are people all across the Southern Baptist Convention that are looking at you and going, how about that? How about that? You don't even have a real preacher. Now, having a real preacher is helpful, but listen, folks, God can surpass the preacher. God can surpass you. Thank you very much. He's not dependent on any of us individually, but, oh, he wants to bless all of us collectively. And so what we're doing, people say, Brother Glenn, y'all are in a building program and you're the interim? Yeah. Why? The people have a mind to work. We've waited 17 years. How much longer do you want to wait? The time was right. The opportunity was right. God's spirit led us. And why are we surprised when it just all begins to kind of come together as it does? Well, all of that's happened. We get to chapter 8 and Nehemiah gets the people together because he doesn't want to focus on a completed task. He wants to complete something in them. And if you notice, all that takes place here, all that's beginning to take shape is around the Word of God. He gets the people together, and the people want to hear the Word of God. All the people gathered. They were hungry for the Word. Sometimes people will ask me, Brother Owens, I don't know if I'm saved or not. I just don't know. Help me with the assurance of my salvation. Well, the first thing you do is take them back to that point when they thought they received Christ. I mean, was that real? Take them back to that moment. Was it, when did that happen? Where did that happen? I had, you know, da 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 da. But one of the things I always like to ask people is do you hunger and thirst for more? If you're a Christian, you hunger and you thirst for more. It's one of the signs you're saved. You're not saved to sit. You're not saved to just occupy time and space. But you have, and, and it doesn't mean you have to be a theologian, 
but you love God's Word, and you love reading it, and someone teaching it to you, and someone preaching it to you. And, and you go, man, I needed that. I don't know that I'd ever heard that before. And you take that and inculcate that into your life, and all of a sudden, it, it leads you to more and more and more and more. I've been studying the Bible now for 45 years. When I started studying the Bible, I thought, well, I'm pretty good. I, I know half of it. I've studied 45 years, and I think I know 5% of it. The more you know, the more you realize the grandeur, the immensity of it, the depth of it. And you begin to realize who God, just, just a moment you get a glimpse how much bigger he is than you ever thought he was and how much deeper his word is and how reassuring his word is. And I'm going to tell you, there are times in your life when you don't have anything to stand on but the word of God. And it's those times that you, you understand more. Do you hunger and thirst after righteousness? If you don't, maybe you don't have any righteousness. Quit rededicating your life and get saved, brother. Just get saved. Get it settled. People say, well, I'm going to come rededicate my life. You're rededicating something that's dead. Have new life in Christ. And I am guarantee you he'll open some vistas of understanding in your spiritual knowledge that will blow your socks off, brother. I mean, he just will. So there was a, first of all, there was a hunger for the word, but also there was a hearing of the word. All revivals are marked by hearing the word of God. But notice here in the last part of verse 8, and they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses. Now look down at verse 4, and Ezra the scribe stood upon the pulpit of wood. Ezra. Verse 5, and Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. Ezra. Where have we heard his name before? Oh, yeah, I remember. I told you about him in one of the earlier sermons. If you go back in the book of Ezra, which is just before Nehemiah, you'll find out Ezra tried to rebuild the wall. In fact, he tried with the same king, Artaxerxes. And Artaxerxes shut him down. Now they have Ezra to come and to read the, the word. Why would you want a failure to come and read the word? I mean, he's a failure. He didn't rebuild the wall. You and I might call him a failure, but God called him faithful. Let me, let me tell you a little secret. God doesn't reward the same way you and I think of rewards. We think Nehemiah got the reward, Ezra was a failure. No. Oh, listen to me. Listen to me. God rewards obedience, not the outcome. Ezra is no more a failure than Bobby Welch is a failure. Brother Owens, what'd you say? Some of you just woke up. What? What was that? Bobby didn't rebuild, didn't move the, the church. He must have failed. 
No. He was obedient to what God had him to do. God in his sovereignty for some unknown reason, and one of the things I'm going to ask him when I get up there is why. Why did we wait 17 years? There are things God's working out we have no idea about. There are many times God delays stuff. God told David, you're not going to rebuild the temple. You're a man of war. I'm not going to let you do it. But then he goes on to say in 2 Chronicles, it was in your heart to do it, therefore done. The Bible says as we purpose in our heart. You see, God sees the intent, the motive. Now, you can't fool God with that. Well, I really wanted to do that. No, he knows really what you really want to do and what you're just blowing smoke at. Bobby Welsh had the vision, and one day that vision's going to be sight. But he's not a failure. He was obedient to God at that time to do what he did. That's why when we took a vote, you voted in the high 90% to continue the vision he had. And bless God, in a few days, it's going to be sight. And God used that and used this and used that and that and that and that and that. And all of a sudden, boom, we're there. Ezra was chosen. Now, he's the priest. Nehemiah's the layman. But what a marvelous, marvelous thing for Nehemiah and the people to have asked Ezra to come, knowing that he had tried to do this very thing and had been providentially hindered from doing it. God doesn't reward like you and I reward. Ne- Nehemiah is not the victor and Ezra a failure. Both men obeyed God and God used both men to get the job done. Notice what they do here. Ezra gives understanding to the Word of God. You know, sometimes you hear a preacher, you know, has Ph.D. and all this after his name, and you say, boy, that guy must be brilliant. I didn't understand a thing he said. Listen, folks, just because a river's muddy doesn't mean it's deep. The Bible says of Jesus Christ, the little children heard him gladly. I heard a man tell me one day, I, I, I don't know if he's being sarcastic or a compliment. Sometimes you don't know. He said, Brother Owens, you're preaching dry down on the level of my six-year-old. Well, at first I went, Ugh. and then I thought, that's where it ought to be. It ought to be right about there. Because in church, some adults, that's about the mentality they have. Thank you very much. You've got to put it on the front porch, not on the roof. Deliver the mail to the front porch and put it by the door. Put it right where people can understand it. And notice what happens. They start preaching from morning until midday. Now, most conservative Bible scholars will tell you that's from sunup, 7, 7.30 to noon. Four or five-hour sermon. You know, one of the reasons I think we get so antsy is because we're not hearing the Word. We're looking at the watch. You can't look at the watch and hear the Word. Back, when are we going to get, th- uh, you know, the line's going to get long at Cheddar's. When are we, when are we leaving? When are we? And you never hear. There was a hunger for the Word, but there was a hearing of the Word. The people wanted to hear. Folks, let me tell you something. 
I understand that we're getting to a point where people are fast tired of what men have to say about God. But there's a deep hunger in our nation of what God is saying about men. And you just stand up here and preach hell, hot, heaven, sweet, sin, black, judgment, sure, and Jesus saves, and I guarantee you people will listen. Because deep down inside they know there's something missing in my life. And deep down inside they know there's a God. They may damn him with their fists, but they know there's a God. And at times they realize there's something wrong in my life that only he isn't going to be able to fix. And that is true, true, true. It's in the person of Jesus Christ, God's one and only son, who came to take away the hurt and the heartache and the anxiety and the fear and the doubt and the confusion that haunts men's souls. And today our world is a world full of hypertension, We're now seeing all these drugs. The president talked about the opioids and all of this stuff that people are high on or trying to get help of and just trying to buzz out so that nothing bothers them anymore. But the problem is you have to take another pill when you come out from under the last pill. That's why Jesus Christ is the breath of life. That's why Jesus Christ is the water from heaven. That's why when you take Jesus Christ, you don't hunger and thirst after that. There was a hunger for the word. There was a hearing of the word. There was a handling of the word. Others helped him. You notice over here, there were several others that helped him. And they were on a pulpit of wood. The Bible says Ezra opened the book and the people were able to see him. He was up high. He was above the people. It doesn't mean he's better. It means he's up here. Where you can see, where you can hear. It really bothers me, some of our younger pastors that are taking pulpits out of the, of the church and they're replacing it with a stool. Bless God, God didn't say he'd honor a stool. He said he would honor a pulpit. Why? This is a focal point. This is the, this is the point of the ship. This is high and lifted up so that you might hear the eternal word of God. I want you to see it and I want you to hear it. I can't do that from down there. That's why we do this. That's why this is this way. This is not some architectural design. This is a part of the eternal word of God. The pastor stood up and preached. And if you want to know the truth, the people stood up and listened. Four or five hours standing. We have it so easy. I can't wait for some of the Easter bunnies that only come once a year to pop into heaven and tell God how much they sacrificed. We come to an air-conditioned, upholstered, cushy seats. We sit, except for those songs that we have to stand on. And we really suffered for you today, Jesus. Give me an eternal break. The people stood... And notice the people said something. Look at verse 6. And the people shouted, answered, Amen, Amen. You're kind of getting it. it. This is not some charismatic group. This is not some weird group of people. They had seen the hand of God do something through them that they could not explain. 
And when the preacher got up and told them it was the hand of God, they said, Amen! Amen! You see, what was in their heart, uh, in their heart came out through their mouth. That's what worship, that's part of what worship is. It, it, it's expressing what's in our heart. And notice, Mr. Baptist, just hold on now. Just, just hold on. They raised their hands. Oh, my goodness, what in the world is happening to our church? I agree with you. In modern days, some of the televangelists and some folks who are not scripturally taught think this is a sign of spirituality. Look at me. I've got my hands up and you don't. That's not what that's all about. That's not anything close to what that's about. What does this mean? Be careful. What it means is, oh, God, I'm so overwhelmed by who you are. Oh, God, you've been so good to me. Thank you. And when we lift our hands, we're saying, Lord, every sin that I know of has been repented of. These are clean hands. And Lord, use them. This is not pointing at me. This is pointing at you. So, sweet friend, if you want to stand and raise your hand, raise your hand. But understand what you're saying. God, if I know my heart, I'm confessed up to date. And, oh, God, use these hands. Use these hands. You've been so good to me. Use these hands. I guarantee you, there are times, and I'm not a big one to raise hands. I, I don't do that often, but I do it sometimes. And I'm going to tell you when it happens for me. It's when there are songs that are sang that exalt Jesus Christ and remind me of my lostness. I just want to raise hands and say, thank you, Lord. Now, Mr. Baptist, Ms. Baptist, you're sitting there and somebody next to you raises their hand. Don't you look over at them like, what is going on here? First of all, it's none of your business. Second of all, just let them enjoy it. <laughs> Susan and I were in an African-American church in Miami. In fact, I think we were the only white folks there that day. And uh, they, the inner, the, uh, Associate pastor had the opening prayer. Now, it went for about 20 minutes, the prayer. And all the people came down around him when he was praying. And, I mean, it was a prayer. Son, I mean, he touched heaven. When he got through, there was a lady, rather large lady, started spinning right in the middle of the group. And just spinning, saying, Jesus, 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 Jesus. And all the people left. Well, I'm sitting there about where Susan's sitting over here. I'm watching all this, and one of the staff members is sitting with us, and I said, what's going on? He said, oh, just let her enjoy it, Brother Owens. Just let her enjoy it. 
She stood there and spun around for a while. Finally, another equally large lady got up, walked over and just held out her arms, never touched her, just bumped her. Boom, 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 boom. Right into a pew, boom, boom. She spun around and sat down. And I sat there and thought, that's one of the craziest things I've ever seen in church. And the Lord hit me with this thought. Glenn, when have you been so overwhelmed by my presence that you didn't care what others thought? You're just obedient. That's kind of embarrassing. The Bible says when we humble ourselves, we exalt him. And I saw that sweet lady probably did more worship in three minutes than I've done in a lifetime. Be careful what you look at and say, well, what is that all about? Now, it needs to be theologically, theologically straight. And let me just slide this in here. There is no such thing as a second work of grace as evidenced by speaking in tongues, period. The New Testament does not teach it. So don't come at your interim pastor with that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when you are so overwhelmed by God's presence that it shows. You may raise your hand. You may bow your knee. You may drop your head. You may just stand there. But for goodness sakes, worship. Just worship. Whatever way is fitting for you, worship. That's what they did because revival was taking place. And notice, not only was there a hunger for the Word of God, there was a hearing of the Word of God, there was a handling of the Word of God, but last but not least, there was a heeding of the Word of God. Look, if you will, down here in uh, verse 10, the last part. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites stilled all the people. Now, what is the people doing? Amen, amen, and lifting hands, and they're worshiping. They're having a glory hallelujah time. Now, the Levites say, hold your peace, for the day is holy. Neither be ye grieved. Why was that? Because some of them were weeping. Some of them were crying. And all the people went their way to eat, to drink, and to send portions. That means to others who, who did not have. And to make great mirth because they had understood the words that were declared unto them. What are the Levites saying? The Levites are saying, amen, amen, hallelujah, they're weeping. They're praising the Lord. And after an appropriate time, the Levites say, hush. Hush. We've done this enough. Now go home and make it real what you say you believe. Go home and let your life be such as to what you say in your worship and praise to God. There's an appropriate time to praise God. But you don't praise God all the time. As wonderful as that might be, that's reserved for heaven. <laughs> but there's a portion of time that you have to get on with the work. You have to go back and do what you're supposed to do. This is exactly where the church is today. Now, there are going to be some more times to praise the Lord. We're going to have a victory Sunday. We're going to have a celebration Sunday. We're going to have a wonderful banquet that kind of kicks off several weeks of celebration. There's an appropriate time for that. But right now, what we're calling the church to do is to get to work.
And part of that work is for you to prayerfully consider your part in seeing all of this to take place. Let me show you something very interesting. I didn't mention this when we came through, and I promise I'm through. That's famous last words of a preacher. In chapter 3, we skipped chapter 3. If you remember, we didn't talk about chapter 3. But in chapter 3, we have a reoccurring word. It's three words or two words in, in your English Bible. In verse 2, next unto him, and then in the last part of that, next to them, next unto 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 them, uh, all down through verse 12. Fourteen times next unto him or next unto them is used. It's three words in the English language. It's one word in the Hebrew. And you know what the word means? Hand to hand. Hand to hand. You say, Brother Owens, what a beautiful picture. They were all standing there holding hands. No, they weren't. No. Read your Bible. They had a brick in one hand and a sword in the other. They were rebuilding the wall. They were prepared. They were doing the work, but they were prepared for the enemy. But they were hand to hand. That's poetic. It means they were one of accord, one purpose. It was as if they were standing there, all 40,256 of them, all of them holding hands while they were doing the work. I'm telling you, folks, there's something about the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we hold hands, we become a mighty army. And what we can't do individually, we can do collectively. And what we need to do individually is what needs to transfer over to what we can do collectively. These are interesting and exciting days. Nehemiah taught us some principles. We're now in the stage of worship and praise. These next few weeks, that's what we're going to be about. Worship and praise. As the Levites said, quit all your shouting. Get to work. That's what I'm asking you to do. I'll let you shout a little bit more, but we're fast moving toward getting the work done. You'll hear more about it, the invitations that are being mailed out, the structure of the next few weeks, our banquet, our luncheon really that's coming up, and then all that's going to happen as we continue our legacy. And for some of us who are a little bit older, leaving a legacy for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen, amen. I know what some of you did. You're not going to lift your hands, but you'll clap. Well, that's good. That's progress. We're making progress. This is the time of invitation. It's just what it is. We invite you to respond as God's Spirit would lead you. Respond to what you've heard, not from the preacher, but from God's Word by way of the preacher, but most of all what you've heard, the prompting of God's Spirit in your heart. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ, we'd love to have the opportunity to tell you what that means. Show you in the Bible where it comes from. It's not something we've made up as Baptists. It's something God's Word says. And sweet friend, it's the only way you're ever going to have peace and contentment in life is to get your life in line with God. 
Maybe the others here today want to join this church by letter, statement, any of the way she would receive members. We welcome you. Come and help make us stronger, and maybe we can help you to be stronger. Maybe there are other decisions to rededicate life. This altar is always open if you need to come. Not talk to any of us, but just kneel as an indication that you're kneeling your heart. You're surrendering your heart. Getting a fresh start with God. Something hadn't been right in your life. Maybe there are other decisions you'd share that will give honor and glory to God. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand. As you stand, you respond as God's Spirit would lead. We'll meet you here. Trained counselors are here. Staff is here to greet you, have a word of prayer with you, answer any question you might have, help you in any way we can. We're standing now. We're singing. You come right now.